Well, good morning, Platt Park Church. Thank you all for being here. Today we are wrapping up the Sabbath series, and I'm so glad to see all of you. My little cheering section is all in the back. Apparently these rows are no good. So, <laughs> so before I begin today, I'd like to pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in your sight. Amen. All right, so today I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about friends, I'm going to talk about laws, and I'm going to talk about the Jesus paradigm. I'd like to begin with a story. May 6, 2004 is a date that I will always remember for two reasons. First of all, this was the day when the series finale of Friends was set to air after 10 years. And I totally loved that show, totally loved it. I was fully invested. And back then, you had to schedule your time around when a show aired, right? This is back in the dark ages. You could record shows on a VCR or a VHS, but I, I never actually got the hang of that. And I was one of those moms who always recorded over her kids' stuff, like, by mistake. So I am home with Rich, and we have finished dinner. And all three of the kids are accounted for. Calvin, our oldest, had just left 20 minutes earlier to spend time with his buddies. Perry was downstairs being super nerd, playing video games. And Chloe was hanging around the house, too. So it was like all systems go. I'm completely ready, and that famous theme music comes on. I'm so excited. And then the phone rings. It's the house phone, you know, the phone that's attached to the wall, the one that is plugged in all the time. And the only way that you can turn it off is to take the, the receiver off of the hook. Uh, it had an ID feature on it, so I get up and I look down, and I see it says, Arapahoe County Sheriff. And I think, well, that's, you know, they're probably soliciting money. So I'm just going to ignore that call, just ignore it. And then the phone rings again. And it's also from the Arapahoe County Sheriff. And I'm thinking, well, that's weird. They don't normally call twice in a row. So I get up and I go pick it up. And the person on the other end of the line is our son, Calvin. He was 19 years old at this time. And because I'm just so bright, you know, I can just figure things out lightning quick, I figure, well, this isn't a solicitation call at all. <laughs> and Calvin says, Mom, I've been arrested. Now, I'm not proud to say this, but my first thought was, I'm going to miss the Friends finale. <laughs> <laughs> then I put down the mouthpiece, and I say to Rich, Calvin's been arrested. And he looks at me, and I could just tell he was thinking, well, I knew this day was going to come. It was only a matter of time. We have two teenage boys, 19 and 18 years old. And I said to Calvin, what for? I mean, I just had seen him 20 minutes before. What could have possibly happened? And Calvin says to me, illegal camping. I stop, and I'm thinking, what? I said, and he says, Mom, remember last summer when I went camping at Cherry Creek State Park with my friends, senior class? We're all camping over there at the 4th of July, and I got that ticket. And I'm thinking, 
yes, and I remember telling you to pay the ticket. And he says, well, I did pay it, but it got there late. So they issued a warrant for my arrest. Now my taillight is out, so they pulled me over and they arrested me. Now I just want to stop for a minute and ask all of you, has anybody here ever been arrested for illegal camping? <laughs> By show of hands. <laughs> all I have to say is that if you have a ticket for illegal camping, you better pay it. Now, when I was young and we would camp at Cherry Creek State Park, you didn't need a permit. But guess what? Laws change. And so now I'm going to talk about laws. And I feel uniquely qualified to do that since my last name is Laws. We live in a society of laws, and that's a good thing. And Calvin broke the law, and I'm happy to say that he has never broken the law since then at least as far as I know. And he's a great son, and I really love him. Laws are important. They're part of our society. And there's definitely a lot of laws, both at the local level and the federal level. Do you have any idea how many federal laws there are? Just by show of hands, how many of you think that there are less than 20,000 federal laws? How many of you think that there are more than 20,000? Okay, so in this case, you're both right because no one knows how many federal laws there are. <laughs> it's the truth. They estimate that there's between 15,000 and 50,000 federal laws. So I'm pretty sure everybody here has broken the law and not even known it. Now, 2,000 years ago, there were also plenty of laws in place in Israel both Roman and Jewish laws. And the Jewish law consisted of two sets of laws. The first set were the 613 laws detailed in the Torah. They're known as the Mosaic law, or the laws of Moses. But the Mosaic laws weren't always specific about how to apply it to everyday li living. So the Jewish leaders created a body of oral tradition Basically, it told the Jews how to interpret and apply the law to their everyday life. And the obsession to obey the laws really developed in the 4th century B.C., so about three or 400 years before Jesus was born. The Jewish leaders became convinced that their past exiles from Israel and the fact that they were controlled by outsiders was a punishment from God for not obeying the law. In their way of thinking, complete adherence to God's law would afford them freedom. And during Jesus's earthly life, Israel was controlled by Rome. It was a Roman province. And certainly Jew, uh, Jesus knew all about the Torah. The Pharisees had insisted that all Jewish boys in the first century AD attend religious school starting at the age of five. So by the time they finished at the age of 13, they knew the Torah by heart. Remembering and keeping these laws became the cornerstone, the absolute cornerstone of the Jewish faith. And to help to put that into practice, thousands of years ago, the Jewish people developed the tefillin. This is a tefillin. 
and it belongs to a friend of mine. It's from her great-grandparents. This tefillin is 115 years old. And if you look closely at this picture taken up the Western Wall, you can see this father is helping his son, probably at his bar mitzvah, put on the tefillin. And inside the tefillin are pieces of parchment paper with scripture written on them. And you put this on in a very specific way. It goes on whatever is your weaker arm here, and it's wrapped around your arm in such a way that it actually represents three Hebrew letters, Shin, Yod, and Dalet. And together that means Shaddai, which is God. So you put it on your bicep close to your heart so that it's, the scripture is always close to your heart. And the second one, this one, is placed on your head. It goes like this. It goes between your eyes to keep the scripture on your mind. That's what it looks like. And every young Jewish boy who is bar mitzvah goes through this ritual of putting it on. Observant Jews do this twice a day for their morning and evening prayers. Now this practice was in place when Jesus was born, and it's likely that Jesus did this very same thing when he was bar mitzvahed. Remember that observance of the law was the cornerstone of the Jewish leaders. So let's talk about an event in Jesus' life when he broke the Sabbath laws on purpose to make a point, the point being that he was God. Now, if you know me, you know I love to talk about Jesus and the stories about his life. I'm fully immersed in a study about his life, and I teach that here at Platt Park Church on Sundays at 10.30 downstairs in the social hall. <laughs> Starting again this fall, I hope that you will come. I think that every time we share a story about Jesus, there's always something important to learn. And that's definitely true when it comes to the subject of the Sabbath. And I'm going to tell you a story that appears in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then whenever you see the same story in all three synoptic Gospels, you know that the authors consider that story to be very significant. So follow along with me. Take out your Bibles and open to page 792, Matthew chapter 12. Okay. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Okay, so we have this image in our head. Jesus is walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples begin to pick the grains off the top of the wheat to eat. They're literally picking off the tops of the wheat. They roll it in their hands. They blow away the crushed cover. And they eat the raw kernels. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never in my life been that hungry. I cannot relate to how hungry you would have to be to eat raw wheat. And honestly, this part of the story just makes me sad. 
because it means that Jesus and his disciples were starving. So they're headed across the field towards a small town, and when they get there, Jesus is confronted by a group of local Pharisees. Now, whether they saw him picking the wheat or they just heard about it, they go ahead and confront him. And they call out his disciples for doing something that is considered illegal, unlawful on the Sabbath. According to the Mishnah, the book of the oral laws, there are 39 categories of work that are prohibited on the Sabbath. And each of the 39 have a subset, so literally a lot of laws, a lot of things related to the Sabbath. And I'm going to go ahead and read you the list of the 39 prohibited work. Carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, kneading, combing, spinning, dyeing, not the actual dyeing, but the thing you dye, chain stitching, warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, marking, binge-watching Netflix, grilling, golfing, driving, shopping on Amazon. I just threw those last ones in there just to make sure you're still listening. Well, I don't know about you, but I have to, I have a hard enough time remembering the things I'm supposed to do, let alone a list like this. And our hungry disciples broke four of these laws. They plucked the heads of the wheat, that's reaping. They gathered the wheat, that's harvesting. They had to rub the head of the wheat to separate the kernel, that's threshing and they would blow away the chaff, the chaff in order to eat the wheat, and that's considered winnowing. So Jesus answers the Pharisee. He says this. Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? You see, Jesus totally gets who the Pharisees are and what they're about, and he's challenging their way of thinking. And he starts with a little bit of an accusation of sorts. He's like, haven't you read a bit in their face, like saying, hey, you guys are the teachers of the law, and you don't remember this story from the Torah? Well, here's a little bit of background about that story from 1 Samuel. David, who later becomes the king of the United Kingdom of the tribes of Israel in 1000 BC, was with his troops in Jerusalem, and they had just come from the battle, and they were starving. So David goes to the temple, and he asks the priest to give him the showbread. Now, the showbread is specifically 12 loaves of bread that were 
placed in the holy place in the temple every day as an offering to God. And according to the laws of Moses, only the priest could eat this bread. So he uses this as an example of when the law was put aside for the sake of mercy. And then he points to another example. He says, hey, what about the fact that the priests work at the temple every day, including Sundays, including the Sabbath? During their temple duties, they're doing their duties, and yet they are considered to be innocent. So Jesus is just saying, hey, guys, what about these two examples of when uh, people were breaking the Sabbath, and yet the law is put aside for them? Jesus goes on, and he says this. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now notice that the Pharisees don't say anything because he's right. You see, Jesus doesn't just stop with the story of uh, what happened on the Sabbath, not by a long shot. He has something to tell them that is definitely going to get their attention. And it's this. He says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And that would have been like a whoa kind of moment for the Pharisees. Nothing was greater than the temple in Jerusalem for the Jewish people. It was the center, the absolute core of the Jewish faith. You see, what Jesus is saying is this. God the Father sent me as your Savior. And that act is far greater, far more important than what he did when he established the temple in Jerusalem. And even more, he tells them, he, he is Lord of the Sabbath. By saying that, he is saying he is equal to God, that he is God. Now, a little later, Jesus is once again confronted by the Pharisees. And they ask him, which of the commandments is the greatest? And this is his answer. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, he's changing the paradigm of how to worship. Instead of this complex sacrificial system and rules to follow, he says, just do this. Because this fulfills all of the requirements of the law. And it is really a simple, little, beautiful paradigm. I call it the Jesus paradigm. So let's take a little closer look at this. <clears throat> it begins with love God with everything you have your heart, your soul, and your mind. Now, this feels really good to me. It's very comprehensive. And yet, sometimes we really struggle with loving God for various reasons. I'm wearing this T-shirt today. It's from my niece, Sarah. My niece, Sarah, is 40 years old. She has stage 4 metastatic breast cancer. And she really struggles with God because... She's angry, and she's sad. And I, mean, I totally get it. 
And I love her so much, and we get together, and we talk a lot about it. And we talk about why it's important to love God, even in the midst of things that are so bad, even in the midst of something as horrible as breast cancer. As dedicated followers of Jesus Christ, we can spend our entire journey figuring out how to do this, how to love the Trinity. And sometimes it takes a lifetime to get there. Now, the second one is love your neighbor, others. And this one is harder. It can be very hard because the phrase your neighbor literally means everyone. And of course, it's hard to love everyone. We really struggle with this, particularly right now in our country. Instead, our tendency is to create a couple of boxes and put people in the boxes. It's like the people we like box and the people we don't like box. And we put people in the people we don't like box for many reasons. Maybe you put someone in that box because they hurt you when you were young or they broke your heart as an adult or they disappointed you when you needed them most. Now maybe you put them in the box because they don't see the world the same way that you do. They don't vote the same way as you do. Or you had a disagreement with them and it never got resolved. I'm just saying that for one reason or another, whether big or small, you have a grievance with that person. Or they have one against you. And you don't want to forgive them or ask for forgiveness because you might have to give up that righteous indignation that we all love to hold on to. But if I want to be a dedicated follower of Jesus, I have to empty that box. I have to be vulnerable and ask for forgiveness or learn how to forgive, <coughs> how to show mercy. Or I'm exactly like those Pharisees who confronted Jesus who stood by the law even when they knew those men were starving. You see, to truly love, we have to soften our hearts and open our minds, and we have to let our soul lead the way when it comes to loving others. I have to practice this and be intentional about it because it doesn't come naturally to me. Just this week while I was writing and researching this talk, I realized I needed to make amends with a few people, to clear the air, to apologize, to talk some things over. So I made some phone calls, and Jesus honored me in that. They were great, but I still have one more call to make. I haven't made it. It's a tough one, struggling with it. But I'm going to do it because that's what Jesus wants me to do. And I want to follow his commands. And maybe there's somebody that you need to call, not text, today, to reset the relationship, to get it moving forward again. And then there is this second part, the love yourself part. You know what? That's really hard, too. Very, very, very hard. Because we all have regrets. Maybe there's shame or failed relationships or disappointments 
all of which causes us to be really, really hard on ourselves. And you know what? We keep track of those two, and we put them in a different box that's labeled, why I don't like myself. And Jesus would say to you, just, just stop it. Enough is enough. Love yourself. Love others. To really love yourself, you have to see yourself through the eyes of Jesus. Because to him, you are really something special. You are a God-created being who is truly unique in the universe. Someone who is worthy of being loved. Even if we are a bit flawed, or really flawed. Because this is the absolute truth. God loves you. Jesus loves you totally and completely. And I think that's a very good place to start. And I believe you can learn a lot about how God loves you by reading the Bible. And I just want to say one last thing. You see the structure of this paradigm? It's like a, a pinnacle and a platform. And if you were to shift the structure, it wouldn't work. All three elements are key. You know, and I don't know what you're dealing with today. Maybe you need to work on loving and understanding the Holy Trinity. Or maybe you need to work on loving yourself. Maybe you need to work on loving your neighbor. You know, maybe this Sabbath today, you can start a new spiritual practice. Create a new paradigm in your spiritual life and learn how to embrace these three things. Love God. Go to church. This is the place he created for you to worship him and to be a part of a community. Love yourself. Take care of yourself. Rest if you need it. Relax if you need that. Go have fun with the people that you love. Forgive yourself. Let go of what you need to let go of. And love your neighbor. Do something for others. Visit with a friend. Call your mother. Take a walk with someone. Tell someone you love that you love them. Spread love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person here today. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to show us how to love and to teach us that love is what it's all about. I pray that the people here today will consider how they can spread love and how they can love themselves and also how they can love you. I pray all this in your holy name. Amen.